0: So welcome, Rory, to Not Your Everyday Podcast. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, first of all, I just want to, for those who don't know who you <laughs> are and um, what you do, past and present, because yeah. you just kind of give uh, a summary of, like, what you do. Yeah. And yeah, and who you are. Yeah. So I'm Rory Campbell. Um,
1: I've uh, I've actually just left in June. Uh, six brilliant years at the John Lewis Partnership, mm-hmm. uh, the last three of which uh, was a bit of a peculiar board position called Partnership Registrar, which worked for the chairman and effectively looked after the model of business, um, provided some independent uh, views and opinions on what the business was doing to live up to its purpose. Um, and now I have co-founded a consultancy called New Vantage Consulting, um, and we're going to focus on a bunch of stuff. So we're going to focus on leadership council, board cohesion, strategic alignment, mm-hmm. change of implementation, those sorts of things. Uh, and th- that's me, that's what I do.
0: So how long were you at uh, John Lewis for? John Lewis for six years, yeah, yeah. About, about six years, yeah. So, so how did you end up at John Lewis and what was your, the experience like yeah. at the top of the organisation?
1: Yeah, um, so I prior to John Lewis I was working for a small uh, consultancy, management consultancy. And I'd been there for a couple of years, really loved it. I had um, uh, two jobs there at the same time, so lead consultant and operating director. Um, and then the way these things are, I got a call one day saying, hey, we want to talk to you about an interesting job. Yeah. Um, I sort of went through that process. Uh, if I tell you the funny end of it, <laughs> after about five weeks of these conversations with, uh, with the headhunter not telling me who the company was, uh, I said, look, I've got nothing else to add, uh, <laughs> let me know who it is. And she said, well, you know, they're trying to decide whether they want to interview you or not, and um, I'm not going to tell you unless they want to interview you, but she dropped a hint and she said it's a multi-billion pound retailer, uh, a, head office, in and, uh, a head, office, um, head office in central London and a head office in central London and a head office on the M4 corridor and I had a lady working for me who um, English is her sixth language <laughs> right, so y- you've now got the right mental image and, uh, and, I, and I called her in and I said look, go, don't ask. Yeah. Try and figure out who this is for me. Took her about two minutes and uh, she said it's either John Lewis or another business that will remain unnamed. So I phoned the headhunter back And I said, it's one of these two and she said, how do you feel about that? And I said, if it's that business, it's been lovely talking to you. And she said, great, I'll call you back next week. Um, And what it was for me really, um, I'd been working in a consultancy that was focused on helping businesses to connect to their sense of meaning, Mm -hmm. uh, to think about their strategy and the conditions that the people were working in and whether or not that really lived up to what they believed. And there I was looking at an organisation like John Lewis that started out like that it's, it's literally in the DNA of the business, and I just thought, that's too good an opportunity, uh, so I want to be involved. Mm. Um, wh- what was it like at the at, at, at the top of the business? In some senses, like at the top of any business, right? You, mm-hmm. You've got titans of industry, people who are brilliant at what they do, um, who are passionate about what they do, uh, and are competing in a fiercely, fiercely difficult market. Uh, I mean, you know, we can all see where retail's at in the moment. It's, <laughs> under an awful lot of pressure, like many other sectors, uh, so you've got leaders at the top of that business that are trying to figure out where the future is, what's changing, how they get there fast enough, and manage today's business um, at scale. Uh, I learned a lot about the size of that business and its nature, which I hadn't anticipated when I joined. Um, you know, it's easy when you talk about the big traditional retailers to forget how big they are. Mm. John Lewis Partnership is 84,000 people strong, 60,000 or so. Uh, in in Waitrose and the remainder in John Lewis essentially, it's a big big business. Um, So it was demanding at at the top, it was exciting, I I grew a lot Um, so you know the the last three years doing that job on the board, um, I've accelerated my learning, uh, figured out what I'm good at, figured out what I'm really not good at, Mm. Um, uh, I've I've loved it, it's been a great opportunity. And my job day to day uh, really was to work closely with the board and in particular the managing director. Uh, to give her an independent perspective on things whether that be in response to an opportunity or a challenge or just sort of noticing where we're going over time and thinking about things with a, with a slightly different angle uh, more than anything so very very varied yeah very varied.
0: so so because um, what I explore in my podcast is the the, the great moments but also the difficult moments yeah. so what has been the most difficult moment or moments mm. for you mm. in John Lewis? Mm. <laughs>
1: Do you know, um, probably the most difficult for me was not long after I started my, uh, my board role um, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, you can sort of intellectualize what it's like doing that job and then you start doing it and you're suddenly racked with, <laughs> with a lack of confidence. You um, know, I remember being sat around the board table uh, for probably my first couple of meetings I don't think I said a word. <laughs> Right. It's quite intimidating, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at a chap who's got 30 years of experience in retail, I'm looking at um, the then managing director who is master of the big picture, but I'll tell you what, he will tell you the 0.01% margin difference from two years ago to now, then master of the detail. Uh, I'm looking at um, uh, the, the now MD who, who then was buying a brand or commercial director who was just dynamic and really uh, on point when it came to the propositions Mm. and so on and so forth. And you sit there and you think, I'm doing a role which is not about a deep level of expertise in any one area, it's about understanding enough of them all in order to offer a perspective. How on earth can I do that when these guys seem to know everything? Uh, So I I found that really, really uh, intimidating. Um, And in in my first few months, it meant I wasn't me. Mm. I wasn't bringing the best of my game, mm. um, I wasn't doing the things that make me able to contribute the way I can contribute, I was trying to find a way to fit in. Um, and that was false for me. Uh, and then after about maybe seven or eight months, um, I, I had <laughs> had a bad conversation. So I had uh, started the role on a secondment basis uh, and then seven or eight months later uh, I was asked if I wanted to apply for it permanently. I thought yeah I'm up, I'm up for that i'll figure i'll figure it out i'll get a grip on it but i'm, I'm up for that mm. um, and uh, i had some second-hand feedback um, uh, which was you know, someone effectively saying i'm not so sure Rory's right for this job um, and i was livid i was livid because it was second-hand feedback mm. uh, they hadn't told me that directly mm. and i'd been working with them for eight months and mm. they hadn't said that to me mm-hmm. um, uh, so i ended up having a um, quite a challenging confrontation one-to-one with them mm. uh, about their view my view where we differed um, but there was truth in what they were saying yeah. what they were drawing out really was I hadn't been as contributory um, as I needed to be in that role and uh, I, uh, that took me some while if I'm honest to sort of pick myself back up you know my first ever board job and one of, you know a pretty critical bit of feedback from a critical person is saying I'm not so sure about that dude. <sighs> I, I felt really low about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's when I took up running. I don't like running. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a sprinter, long distance, not, not, not so much and I was away with my, um, my family uh, just for a long weekend and I took some training kit and I said to my wife I'm going for a run and you know the look on her face was <laughs> yeah, that really ain't gonna last yeah. mm-hmm. um, and uh, I went out running and I ran 16 kilometres because <laughs> I'm stubborn. Um, and every kilometre I was thinking I'm not I'm not accepting I'm not accepting that feedback I'm not accepting how that's made me feel I need to go back and do something about it Mm. Um, so it was a really difficult but it was for me it was really quite important because it made me sit up and think what do I want to do how do I want to be in that role if I want to achieve this I've got to listen I've got to accept the fact that I haven't stepped up as as I want to yet but now I've got an opportunity to get that right Um, yeah, that, that's probably uh, one of. <laughs> because there've been a few. <laughs> that's, that's, probably, that's probably one of the. One of the uh, personally, one of the more difficult moments. Yeah. yeah, that that one has stuck with me. That was a turning point. So, yeah.
0: so how, how do you? How did how did you overcome it in the end? Like, what did you do? So, I um,
1: I am um, in part I surprised myself, right? So, um, I think it's easy when you've got second hand. Well, maybe not easy. It could be easy when you've got secondhand difficult feedback to not confront it. Um, and I was cross. Because, you know, <laughs> at a risk of sounding egotistical, I knew I could do that job. I know, I know what I'm good at. And there are always being told, yeah, not so much. Uh, and it made me cross. Um, and so, you know, the first thing I did was have the direct, candid conversation with that individual. And that included me saying to them, if you've got a view, I don't expect to hear it secondhand. You know, know, we've been working with with each other all this time and we're going to continue working with each other. Can we have the conversation? Um, It included me doing my homework. So I didn't go into that conversation unprepared. Mm. I went into it having given real thought to how do I think I am doing? Where have I added value? Where have I not? Um, And then uh, in my book, always being prepared to be really open. So, you know, being sat, with, uh, being sat with him and saying, look, I know this has not landed well. I know I didn't get that bit right. However, in these areas, this is what I think. We just have a disagreement about it. Uh, and what I need from you to be successful is this. And I get what you need from me because of that. But the reality is my, my role on that board um, was always a tricky balance. Because in many respects, I'm a peer of everyone around the board, including the managing director. The managing Director's boss is the same as mine, it's the Chairman, yet most of my time is spent with them and the, uh, the greatest point of appraisal of what value I'm bringing is by that group. Yeah. So you have this constant balancing act and constant conflict. Um, and then the only other thing I guess th- th- that I did was, um, you know, well I mentioned running, uh, it's not flippant. Right? I recognised that I had spent a few months trying to immerse myself in their world trying to um, find the ways to work that fitted the way they work. And the very reason why I was appointed was to bring a different perspective, Mm. and yet I'd been slowly trying to squash it because I was intimidated Mm. and was thinking, well, if I find a way of fitting in, then that'll be all right. Um, And you know, I have a a really long history of sort of depression and mental health uh, issues and things like that. And one of the things I know is healthy body, healthy mind. Uh, Those two things are virtuous for me. Um, so running wasn't sort of you know, flippant. I, I took my running kit. It was clearly premeditated, right? yeah. um, This was about, you know what, if I want to be match fit up here, I've got to be match fit here. Uh, so I got fit, did some exercise. I, I got out. I thought about things and just felt a bit more like, right, I'm ready. I've got to be fit to face into this mm. up here and in here and they both go hand in
0: hand. Yeah, no, that's a really inspiring and um, uplifting um, story because uh, it shows yeah, it it shows your determination um, and not to give up as well. So mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed that one. Um, so ha- we can. Um, kind of edit, how how comfortable are you, are you to talk about the depression and mental oh, health
1: issues? very
0: comfortable, very, yeah, okay. yeah. Cool, so, so. alright cool, so you mentioned earlier that um, you went through depression and you had some mental health mm-hmm. challenges, could you talk a bit about what happened in that period? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, you're gonna get a history lesson,
0: <laughs> a, history of, a history of Rory Campbell.
1: Um, so I know now, obviously I didn't at the point I'm about to describe, Excuse me, that for me, my um, mental health challenges go back to my dad dying when I was 12. Uh, in the middle of the night, which is important, I'll come back to that <laughs> in a little while, middle of the night, about half one in the morning, uh, my dad died of an asthma attack. Um, uh, as I say, 12 years old, I was the youngest of three, well, I am the youngest of three boys. Uh, my uh, Jules, my brother, was 15, my oldest brother Wayne was 18 at the time, he was starting his first year at university, um, and obviously my mum and uh, you know when, when that happened when you're 12 years old you don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> right? Um, and uh, you know, I, I grieved and got on with life in a funny way mm. uh, and my mum did the most amazing um, uh, job raising three boys in a you know where dad had been the breadwinner and all that sort of stuff um, and I just kind of got on with things and then at university when I went to uh, uni I really struggled. Hmm. Um, in my first year, I, uh, and in my, certainly in my first semester, I didn't go up much. Now, I can remember being in uh, my Halls of Residence, watching people come back at 2 o'clock in the morning from their night out and I was still in my room just watching the world go by, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. what, is, what is up with that? Um, and I didn't know why uh, and I can remember being in lectures and you know I'd be sat there and I'd suddenly think, I need to get out, I think I'm gonna cry and I really don't know why and I'd go walking for three or four hours you know my my sort of my flatmates and and what have you would be like where did you disappear to and I'd disappear for hours because I just need to get things out of my system Hmm. and I didn't really know why Um, and so I know now that I really struggled with depression through university but I didn't identify it as that. I didn't seek any help. I just struggled with it um, and you know, just moved on. And then roll forward to about 2004, something like that. Um, I'm working for, uh, for Lloyd's Banking Group. Um, and I was in a particular part of the business. I was enjoying my work. I was in HR as a HR business partner. Um, I'm doing great stuff. Uh, and if anything, I am, um, everything I touch is working out I'm like, okay, go here nailed it, could you help with that? sorted it I'm thinking this is good this is really good um, but you know that, that uh, uh, that analogy of a swan you know, graceful on yeah. the top of the feet underneath that, that was me all right, I was inside working like a complete nutter to just try and keep an even keel um, and I had started a really strange set of behaviours right, mm. I'd get up in the morning I'd get dressed as if my life depended on it, really quickly. I'd be out the front door, in the car, to drive to the office, um, and I'd be driving well above the speed limit to get there at half six in the morning. So that I had some time before anybody else arrived to get my act together. Uh, and then I had this week, and this is the week where things sort of just came to conclusion if you like, where, you know, on the Monday uh, I was high and I was upbeat and I felt joyous, I like, oh, man, this is great. Uh, on the Tuesday, uh, you know, I, I came out of one meeting uh, with my boss, uh, who had said nothing untoward to me, but I came out and I was really angry and I remember thinking, I don't know why I'm so angry with her um, and on the Wednesday, I left the meeting and I went for a walk around the car park in floods of tears and I remember going back inside thinking, I don't know why I'm crying, that's really strange. I was all over the place, it was a bank holiday weekend in August. Um, in 2004 uh, and on the Monday, the bank holiday Monday, um, my wife said uh, oh, it's time to go to um, a friend of ours birthday party, are you coming? Uh, and I said no, I've got too much to do, I need to get this done and get that done and uh, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife and um, uh, she clearly had seen this coming and I remember her saying to me, do you think maybe possibly you think you might need to talk to somebody? And I exploded. Well, I've just so much on, you've no idea what it's like, I blah, blah, blah. Um, but something stuck. Uh, so she left and um, uh, I uh, booted up the internet and uh, I say booted up because it must have been dialed up. <laughs> <then. laughs> oh. <laughs> Way back when, man. <laughs> I booted it up and I searched stress and depression and one of the, one of the things I clicked on had like a checklist, oh. like 25 signs of stress and depression and I remember reading one them. Clenching your jaw,
0: yeah, but everyone does
1: that, tick, everyone does Uh, that. Back pain, yeah I mean come on, back pain's really common, tick. Digestive problems, yeah but you know, tick, 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 25 out of 25. And I sat there uh, in in our front room bawling my eyes out and I didn't say anything to my wife when she got, my girlfriend at the time, when she got back. The next morning when I got up to go for work, I couldn't open the front door. My hand was shaking Mm. and I sat on the edge of the bed and she said taking you to the doctor Um, and actually that that was a really powerful period for me it's one of the reasons why um, I'm actually quite proud to talk about it because I I learned so much uh, over the coming years Uh, I learned so much it was a really dark period initially um, because the moment I opened the floodgates well (laughs) guess what the floods came Um, you know I could remember the doctor saying to me I'm gonna sign you off for two weeks because I want to figure something out I want to know whether you're stressed or whether you're depressed and I, so I'm going to remove mm. you from work for two weeks and if after two weeks you seem a little bit better we know it's stress and we're going to talk about how you manage your stress. If after two weeks you know better or worse then we know that this is something more enduring well guess what <laughs> went back two weeks later and I was a lot worse because I opened myself up uh, and sort of had to recognize that something wasn't right. I had counseling for a long period of time an amazing woman called Angela Markham who really helped me um, just explore what was going on Help me look back in my past and sort of recognize that no, this really started when my dad died Help me notice some habits that have built up in my life so i'm uh, frankly a sporadic insomniac i don't really go to sleep and i haven't since i was 12. i don't really go to sleep before about one in the morning well guess what my dad died at one in the morning you know something deeply rooted that doesn't want to sort of um, risk going to sleep and you know being woken up by something like that so i recognize these things now so I, I found my way over time to, to own it, um, to understand it. Uh, for me, it's oddly, it's a source of strength because I know myself better than I think most people know themselves because I've had to explore, mm. I've had to understand. Um, and you know, along that journey, some of the most profound lessons for me come from my periods of depression. Angela's saying to me, and I sell this to everybody, Angela's saying to me, when I sat in her in her room and um, I said to her, I feel like everything is wrong, uh, we were living mm-hmm. in Bristol. I said I feel like everything is wrong, you know, I've not been happy um, in, in the bank for a while so maybe it's my job and I've quit my job um, and, and you know I'm, I feel lonely in Bristol so, so maybe it's Bristol, I need to leave Bristol um, you know, and you know, I mean, Rachel and I have, have been arguing so maybe the relationship's not right. In fact I'm going to quit everything and I'm going to start again mm-hmm. and generally in my mind I was going to up sticks. I was going to move to New York because that would be sensible. <laughs> I was going to move to New York, and I was just going to wipe the slate clean and start again. And um, Angela had this lovely way of sometimes being quite interventionist, and other times being quite passive and just letting you go. Mm. Um, and uh, she was quiet for a moment, and then she just said, "Always run to, never run from. Because if you spend your time running from something, you're looking over your shoulder at the thing you're trying to get away from. You're paying no attention to where you're going to end up." you take your time and you decide where you're on to and you know what that is singularly the most profound thing anyone has ever said to me because it stopped me it made me pause it made me figure it out it made me make my peace with where i wanted to go i was off work for three and a half months my first bout of depression um and it would have been very easy for me to not go back to that job actually what i did is i told myself i'm going back because i need to prove to myself that it's not that job Mm. I went back um, and I've had periods of depression throughout. Um, I, I'm someone who believes that this is a part of me that I will manage throughout my life. Other people have different views but that's my view. Um, and I kind of embrace it and, and own it. Um,
0: yeah. Wow. There you go. You did ask man. I go, I no, go deep I, and I go long. <laughs> no, that, that was very, you know what, what strikes me is that it's very, um, thoughtful, for like you've you spent time yeah. understanding what was the issues particular issues it's not vague it's very precise it's very specific you've um you've you've kind of had you've, you've told a story that's very clear mm. in your mind and you're able to articulate that as well so it shows that you've connected the dots looking backwards and mm. it's helped you reflect um, Uh, and and make better decisions now so what would you tell people who are currently facing depression now Mm. or don't know that they're they're facing depression but they feel they don't feel the same they feel they don't feel themselves what what would you say to them yeah so I am I'll
1: tell you what vulnerability is a hard thing and I think that particularly in today's world particularly in Certainly for people who are in professional positions, you can feel an overwhelming amount of pressure to, to be strong and to show that you're confident and that you're capable. And it's really easy when you're struggling to think that that's a sign of weakness. Um, and, and so one of the things that I have always said to, to people I've spoken to who do struggle is there's great strength, right? There's great strength in being that person that's brave enough to say, I want to explore this." Because many people hide from it mm. uh, because they're frightened, because they can't face into it, you know, no judgement, but I think it takes great strength to, to, to open it up and face into it. Um, I think seeking help is an important thing and it comes in many shapes, right? I mean, I, I've, I've had help from counselling, I've had help from antidepressants, I've had help from you know, courses which are just slightly spiritual and uplifting, all sorts of things. I think finding the, the things in your life, the people around you that can actually help you explore and open up in a safe way. Um, I, I think is important.
0: So, uh, knowing yourself seems to be the key to mm. really finding happiness. But why is it difficult for people to undergo that exercise to know mm. themselves? Or maybe difficult isn't the right word, why do people either run away from it or don't bother to, mm. to reflect or go to therapy or speak to people, particularly men as well. Yeah. Why is it that uh, people don't feel that, um, that sense um, to talk about their problems
1: that's a big question yeah, yeah because, a big like, question. it's an important one
0: yeah because right? like i've seen a lot of themes in the last couple of episodes mm-hmm. about like really knowing yourself is, a, is the true key to, to happiness because a lot of pain and suffering and anxiety comes mm. from what what you think others think about you and, yeah. and yeah. not having an, an alignment to knowing you, who you are and feeling um, content with who you yeah, are. Yeah. So, so how, how do I am, um,
1: um, and I think it's a very natural human thing for us to do to describe the outcomes we want. I want well-behaved, polite children with expansive thinking. Blah blah blah. Uh, I go to university or I go to school, uh, and I want good grades because you know, grades are important, and achieving exam results is important. I go to university because I want to get a job that looks like this. So we're constantly trying to fit in with um, with this system around us that we've created mm. um, and I think that's a normal thing that's been around for millions of years right that's how society works that's how we collectively work together but when that's sat in an environment that the pressures of that are so great uh, and so continuous I think it's easy to lose ourselves I think it's easy to say I fit in to the education system I fit into secondary and higher education I fit in in the work environment In order to get on, I need to do these things. In order to get promoted, I have to look this way, behave this way, achieve results that that look and feel like this. Um, And so we're constantly fitting in and we don't often stop to ask, who am I? No one really asks us that anymore. When was the last time, if you think about it, when was the last time, Uh, be it in a work or even a social context, someone said, who are you? Not not, who are you, what's your name, but who are you? What do you stand for? What do you you think about the world around you? I think we've lost a degree, of, um, a degree of curiosity about it and it's part, you know, interestingly, it's part of why um, now felt like the right time for me to part with John Lewis and start my own thing. I will always be in love with John Lewis as, as a business but part of what I want to do is bring some of that, uh, that more holistic thinking and I don't mean that in a sort of spiritual way, I mean that in a, you know, we don't have to be in boardrooms and forget the fact that human beings are very philosophical creatures that think about things in quite ethical ways that um, are impacted by the environments and the space that we're in those are equally important to our deliberations and our considerations but when you're in that space you are actually getting at the human condition you're asking people what they are and what they stand for and i just think over over a long period of time we've stepped away from doing some of that Mm. Um, and so if i link it back to mental health, I think part of the challenge is we are no longer um, particularly well versed at doing that naturally. And then you layer in a bunch of stuff, right? You you layer in uh, the stereotype and these are definitely stereotypes but you layer in the stereotype of um, stiff upper lip in Britain, right? We don't talk about our emotions. Uh, You you layer in the um, the male mentality which says you definitely don't talk about your emotions, right? you layer in the sort of be strong driver that just says, you know, success looks like being strong and being in control, being in control of things. And if, if you're depressed, surely you can't be in control of yourself, mm. right? If you need help, well that must mean you're weak, right? Mm. And so we layer all of that in and it's then socially really difficult to open up. It's socially really difficult to question what it means to be a person today. Uh, and so I, 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 I'm inspired by people and organisations that have rediscovered the sense of curiosity. I'm inspired by um, what I see as this emerging sort of shift, almost a tidal wave that's on the way, particularly from young businesses and and by young I mean the people in them, and I mean the people that are designing them that are figuring out new models, new ways of working because they're asking broader questions. They're saying I don't have to exist in this system, I can create a different system. They're asking curious questions about the human condition. That, that I think is where the expansive place is and the more we go to that, the more I think we create a society where it's not only accepted that you can operate with vulnerability and you can open yourself up and you can ask what you stand for, but it's, it's encouraged, you know, and it's embraced. Um, you know, the more we do things as my wife and I have, uh, of choosing the schools for our kids based on which ones we believe are going to enable them to be a whole person and find their best selves not the ones that just gets the great grades for putting them through a system mm. then we're teaching them and showing them that it's okay <laughs> it's okay to be you and to explore and discover what that means i've gone deep again but y- y- yeah, you get my sense so
0: much this is so good like <laughs> i'm just uh fascinated because like what you're saying resonates deeply with me because I, I almost got lost in the system. Mm-hmm. Like got <laughs> I got lost. Like it, what I mean by, by that is like the metrics and the, yes. the you know the promotions and like the the competition. Yeah. All these things that you're always competing or, or comparing against, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're young and there's so much going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I, I had mentors, I had people like you, I had other people who who helped me align myself back to always try and search for who you are, mm. um, what makes you happy, understanding your past, and mm. and that in itself really took me out of that that rat race, yeah. if you want to call it that, and it allowed me to find peace and using faith as well, but also just. Um, just, yeah, a, a better understanding of who I am. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm still not there yet, but um, I, I, of us but being on the, being uh, on the path to it is yeah. what
1: matters. You know, I, um, I, I, I do think it's difficult in, um, I'm going to sound like an anti-capitalist, which I'm definitely not. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, but I do think it's difficult in, uh, is it gone? There no. oh, we're back. Yeah. I, I do think it's difficult in um, a, quite a westernized, uh, model where success generally looks like um financial growth generally looks like hierarchical movement you know all those all those sort of things which um indicate a successful life
0: yeah.
1: i think it's difficult i think it's really difficult you know i'm, I'm 41 right um uh, i do very well for myself i uh, I've, I've had jobs that pay very well and I don't have to worry at the moment. <laughs> all, all things can change. Uh, I, I don't have to worry. So it's easy for me to say this, were I my daughter's age, right, I'm, I would be terrified. She's only, she's only 11, so she's not, right? But in, in the next 10 years, she's going to enter the workforce. Will she ever be able to afford a house? Um, the amount of money that she'll have to earn even to pay rent, let alone to buy, uh, to buy a house if she chooses to do that. If she wants to have an active social life, you know, mm. cost of living is rising and rising. Uh, and therefore you can see that people start to lean towards what do I need to do in order to be able to exist in this world? Uh, you know, how much have I got to earn in order to have a place of my own? Uh, how much have I got to earn in order to feel like I can get out and meet people and do things because very little in, in the world is for free um, and therefore I need a job. But I don't just need a job that's not going to pay me very well and is going to result in me being, um, you know, beneath the living wage, for example, because nobody wants to be in that place. We want to strive for more so we can sustain ourselves. Therefore, I'm going to have to compete. um, And I'm going to have to compete to be better than the next person uh, so that I get the opportunity for growth and uh, and promotion. Uh, And if I'm going to compete, I need to know what I'm competing on. And what I'm competing on is in the eyes of that person looking like this and achieving that and then all of a sudden you're back into fitting in. So you know I don't say anything that I've said thinking it's easier, I think it's fiendishly difficult right. and I can understand how we all end up there. You know I'm, I count myself as lucky in a funny way to have had the life experiences I've had, to be the sort of person that naturally thinks like this, to be able to stand outside the system and look at it and kind of go isn't this odd. Mm. But I go back to what inspires me. I I don't have a problem finding people that think in a similar way. That gives me hope.
0: So, uh, last question, mm. and I always ask this question to um, the the people that come onto my podcast uh, and the question is, you might need to think about it, <laughs> but it might not, it might just come naturally. Okay. Alright. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> so it is, how would you describe mm. your leadership style? <laughs> how would I describe my leadership style? Um,
1: hmm. So, uh, I'm, I'm quite an open leader uh, by which I mean um, I share a lot, I mean you are get this in the conversation Right, I'm, I'm open, I share how I think and how I feel, mm. um, um, I'd like to think, uh, others may differ uh, in their view of me but I'd like to think I'm, I'm not a cloying or sort of a micromanaging leader, um, I trust people. Uh, I start from the point of trusting people. Some people start on the other end of the spectrum. Um, but I've always been in and out of work the person that trusts first. Um, so I trust people are working because they want to achieve something, because they um, are inspired to get somewhere, because they want to be successful and I start on that, on that basis. Um, which means I put that trust in them. You know, I assume capability rather than assume incapability, yeah. uh, if, th- if that makes sense. Um, uh, I think I'm fair uh, that when when we succeed as a team I I don't take the glory if you've done it I'm going to tell the world that you've done that because I'm proud of you Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, and uh, I'd like to think that my um, this is a funny word to use maybe but my my humanity um, uh, leads people to feel that they're working when they work with me um, that it's a partnership in the way we work Uh, one of the things I um, I've sort of taken quite to heart from my time at John Lewis uh, was a reflection that as a leader in John Lewis you work for the people that report to you, mm. not just the other way around. Yeah. That feels quite natural to me, and I quite like that that sense of servant leadership, if you like. Um, uh, and I guess the, the the last thing, and I've been reflecting on this uh, um, with somebody today, actually, uh, uh, the last thing could be, I guess, is uh, I don't think I'm the best or the expert or the finished article. I think we are all on a spectrum. I'd rather have a team of people who are way better than me. <laughs> a, because I grow, and, and B, because I think it gives them spaces to be, some places to go. I, I want to work with people who are bloody brilliant. Um, so uh, for me, there is also the humility, I guess, of, you know, I'm good at some stuff, but I'm not good at everything. Uh, and I want people around me who, who embrace that and accept that. Ooh. Probably how hard this describe
0: going. Yeah, no, great. This has been a, uh, an amazing podcast. Uh, I've been so um, encouraged, inspired, um, motivated, but just, um, it's really great that I've got this platform to, to have you on, to Thank share you. what you shared today and I'm, I'm just hoping people will, will listen and will, will feel um that it resonated with them and they will take some things away from it and possibly listen back as well because you said so many um, gems, so many um, areas where people uh, like find it difficult to, to navigate and, and given some clear approaches of how you dealt with it and um, it was, was really good and I just want to say you. thank you Rory for, for coming on the podcast. And My yeah.
1: pleasure, I've really enjoyed this, thank you so much. No, no
0: worries, thank you. Cheers man. Good. Oh, Rory, man, it was good. Like, it was very good. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it makes me feel like you know I haven't had these conversations with you, with you for a long time. <laughs> and it, it just reminds me of you know to, to always keep your contacts close and yeah, to keep, yeah. keep keep up to date with them. And like sometimes you know I get stuck in my world of like oh just trying to do project by project. But not, but not kind of t- touch and base with you and stuff it's, so it's, it's harder just, yeah. right I mean,
1: it, this, this is the thing I think we, we get so consumed by our worlds uh, and me too right me, me too I mean I, I, it's been a it's been a, um, a revelation for me at this point in my career to just stop from it as far as I'm concerned I'm probably gonna work for another 40 years so I think I, can, I think I can stop right <laughs> right this, this is the thing I say to people um, who are worried about moments of pause like I keep saying to people, how long do you think you're going to work for? So if you think you're going to work for another 40 years of your life, are you seriously telling me that a week of pause is too much? Yeah. It's really not. Yeah. It's, it's a tiny amount. Um,
0: but some people do like loads of pauses
1: uh, yeah, well, so, <laughs> there. Some people, some people need to stop pausing. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, that, that sort of sense of being immersed in our world, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's a perfectly healthy thing. You just got to add moments to it where you kind of go, and now uh, take it in. You know, I am. Um